Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Hello, it is another week and another few shows here. Uh, as always, let me know in the chat below, live on YouTube right now. Please let me know of any technical issues. I will try to keep monitoring the chat room as well. And say hi to each other. Enjoy today's show. It is going to be a good one. We have Robin Lazara on, and uh, I can't wait to show you our conversation. We talked about so many things. Again, it's a pre-recorded interview just to accommodate all of the technical issues that we had last week. So please uh, bear with me there. But it seems like, hopefully, fingers crossed... I might have just figured out uh, all of these technical issues, or at least a way to avoid technical issues. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, it'll all be good. So, um, listen, I th- th- such a good show today. I can't wait to show you my conversation with Robin. News broke today that I just I I have to share with you because it is. It, it's too big of news not to share. Um, I, since I was, you know, a very small, small child, um, growing up in Salamanca, New York, with the largest city being 40 to 60 miles away, um, and we somehow still called ourselves a city and all this stuff. And anyway, uh, so I grew up in a very, very small town. And a small area where it felt like Hollywood was so very, very far away. And uh, there have been many things in my life that I feel I've, I'm allowed to be proud of. And, and, and I feel like I, I am able to really, really just be proud of and soak in the moment and soak in the achievement and the, and the uh, accomplishment. And one of those things has been... Um, one of those things has been to be on sets and to be around people from LA, from New York, and to meet people that I've seen on screen and and work with people who who make things happen. To to work with some of the most badass men and women ever uh, of all kinds, and just pulling a movie together and and. Um, I have so many people to thank that I've, that I've worked with that have given me such special experiences, but today news broke around here around Buffalo, um, and throughout Western New York that officially a movie and television studio is going to be built here in Buffalo and it will be the home for, all uh, the the entire film community here in Buffalo that will be working on these movies that come in and out of the area to uh, provide housing, uh, not not housing, but to provide residence for the production of these films and everything like that. Um, to provide office space, studio space, anything that movies or TV shows or, or any kind of production may need. 
a brand new, um, I, I forget the number. I should, I knew I should have printed it out and had it here with me, but a $50 million, I believe, uh, production studio is going to open open up here in uh buffalo and you know maybe you're happening upon this show from outside of western new york uh maybe you're not this to me feels like a very very special day um i've dreamed about this moment all my life um i'm not involved obviously with the movie or tv studio in any way um, I would love to be, <laughs> I would love to be, um, but, but the fact that one is being built here, that it's, that it's a legit production studio dedicated to this kind of thing. There's nothing like this here. There are independent production companies here, but to have a, a, a dedicated space to this type of thing, something that will encourage more films and more TV shows to come from out of the area, um, to come to the area to film, to use that space, to use it as office space, if anything else, to utilize the crew that's here, to utilize the film community that so many of my friends are a part of. It's it's just so cool. I never, ever, I always wanted something like this to happen. I always wanted to be involved with something like this. I obviously in my, you know, almost hallucinogenic daydreams. I've always thought like, oh, I would love to open a production studio of my own someday. And maybe that could still happen. But the fact that one is being built is is closer to that dream than I ever thought would actually happen, would realistically ever happen. Um, uh, you know, and some of my friends have come from out of the area and come from a bigger city like New York or something like that, and or they've gone to L.A. or anything like that, and and to this it 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 seems like a cool opportunity. This feels otherworldly to some extent to me, and in a good way. It just feels like something. Uh, it it feels crazy. It it feels slightly uh, you know out of out of reach uh of my understanding you know the fact that we'll actually have a film and tv studio here feels surreal to me and um it's something i've always dreamed about it is something that i i so look forward to seeing what becomes built how this will aid movies and tv shows that come to western new york and the upstate new york area uh, in 2021, after this virus is all out of the way, today is a very good day for Buffalo, New York, and for the surrounding areas that have benefited from the movies and TV shows that have come here. So many projects have come here, and there are certain county and state senators who argue that it somehow infiltrates our community and makes us more elitist or anything, that's silly. It brings jobs, it brings money to the economy, it aids small businesses here Then you may not even know about in ways that you might not even know about. And we should very much welcome this and welcome any project that decides to showcase any beauty uh, any of our culture here, any of our community, it is a very, very good day, I believe, for Buffalo, New York. This uh, going around the news, I, 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 it makes me so happy. It 
truly feels like it feels like a childhood dream. It's just is uh, coming true that a piece of Hollywood is is making it here that that there is that there is even more of a connection between Hollywood and Western New York. When as a child, when I was dreaming about this, I didn't think there was a connection. And so anyway, all of that being said, I know that was a very, very long tangent on my childhood dreams. But given the news, I am opening a what is this? (laughs) A pineapple strawberry seltzer. And I cheers to you and to the Buffalo and Western New York economy and all of our film community here. If you are any in any way, if you have been an intern, production assistant, production manager, in, if you've directed your own weird documentary short film that you hope never, no one ever sees like I did, this is to you. Our film community should celebrate this today. It is such a good day to be a Buffalonian and to look forward to all the projects that this movie studio will will bring to the area. So, here's to you. Going to take a sip of the seltzer here, and we can get on with the rest of the show. How are we doing? I'm going to check in on the live show. Let's go, Buffalo, from Emily Ferrath. You got that right. Stephanie Moran, so you got it right. There you go, with a big smiley face. I'd, I'd like to think so. Um, so, let's see. <clears throat> I want to make sure, I just want to make sure we're good, and it looks like we are, so let's just keep on going. So, Anthony Mackie, this is the title of the video, this is why some of you may have clicked on the video. Anthony Mackie, known as in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Falcon, Talk to actor David Diggs in Variety's Actors on Actors edition, from virtu- virtual edition, about shooting The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. The new Disney Plus series is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he had a few details for us about the show, one of them being a restricted budget. Variety reports that the miniseries is supposed, is, is supposed to cost $150 million, which is a huge astronomical budget for a TV show, especially a miniseries. But by comparison, Avengers Endgame actually cost about like 300 300 to 400 million and that's not even including the advertising and so the production budget of avengers endgame is about double that so he said that because it was half of avengers endgame he said that it was very noticeable on set (laughs) that all of a sudden their shooting schedule had to be very tight and they weren't used to it he's used to it being more like summer camp where they can shoot as long as they want not anymore, apparently, on the TV show. He also said that the miniseries will look like a Marvel movie. It'll feel like it. It'll sound like it. And that they've been shooting it exactly as if it was a movie. Some of the crew who are used to working on TV shows supported, support, supposedly told Mackie that they never worked on a show like that one. And that the show is essentially a six to eight hour movie. Wow. And I can't wait for the I can't wait to see what they do on Disney Plus with all these streaming shows and everything like that. I know some people aren't looking forward to them. I am, especially as they continue on with Falcon getting Captain America's shield. Where do they go with that? Does he remain Falcon? Does he take on the title at all? It's just there's so many things to look forward to. Eleven years after after it opened its first store, Microsoft announced last Friday that they'll be closing all of their physical store locations. All 83 stores have been closed since the COVID p- 
pandemic, and they'll now remain closed. And in a statement, Microsoft said that their retail employees will be offered new jobs within the company. Four locations around the world will be renovated into uh, Microsoft Experience Centers, which will be a showroom of all their latest products. Those locations are New York, London, Sydney, and Redmond, Washington, uh, the uh, the headquarters. It's the place where the headquarters for Microsoft is, I believe. And it attributes all of these drastic changes to the shifts to the customer experience throughout COVID and shifts in their customer base, saying that more and more the company has been able to aid the world as they transition to a more digital world, whether that be you know, Microsoft Teams and Skype and whatnot, I'm sure that they are digitizing a lot of their business. The fact that such a large company is making that transition, though, you know, it just sort of proves like this is what I've been talking about, that this idea of companies digitizing their work, aiding their customers into this more virtual than not space that we continue to go in in this post-virus area and the virus is certainly not over yet outside of new york that's for sure so continue to see this plan on seeing more and more virtual and digitizing of companies uh and if it affects your industry and your job continue to look for different areas uh different areas in which you can Digitize your own job. Digitize your space within the company. We talk a little bit uh, with Robin Lazara about that and about how her her role currently is changing and how it will change on sets going forward. A new trailer is out for Zac Efron's new Netflix show called Down to Earth, a new docu-series where we follow him and a wellness expert named Darian, uh, Darren Olian around the world and we see them expand their knowledge of community, culture, food as they investigate all the ways that people are taking action toward a sustainable future. And I gotta say, based on the trailer... This looks like a show that I can really get behind. I, I, I'm a sucker for like Bear Grylls type content. And that seems to be the vein that Zac Efron is going in weirdly. Uh, and I'm all for it. Um, and I, I also like Anthony Bourdain kind of content where you experience new foods from different cultures. I, I like that when it's done very well, obviously. And so aside from being a show about sustaining the planet, uh, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. So. I'm looking forward to that. You can check out the trailer on YouTube, probably, and uh, on Netflix. It's called Down to Earth. Beyonce's new album is headed to Disney+, and what's being described as a visual album dedicated to being a, uh, celebra- a, a celebratory memoir for the world on the Black experience. The film will be released on the streaming giant on July 31st, again, Disney+, and will be available Globally, the film is set to be inspired by The Lion King, the remake for which Beyonce voiced Nala. And the film will feature many, many artists such as Childish Gambino, Kendrick Lamar, Pharrell, 070 Shake, Tierra Wack, Jay-Z, Blue Ivy Carter, their daughter, and Jesse Reyes. The album will also include uh, African artists as well, and they'll it'll come just uh, over a month after Beyonce and Jay-Z released a surprise album on uh, Juneteenth called Black Parade. Having written, directed, and executive produced the coming visual album on Disney+, Plus, uh, again called Black is King, what Beyonce has done throughout her career, but, but throughout 2020 as well, is 
such a creative feat. And it, it really is so crazy to me how she was able to do all this over the past year. A year ago, she voiced Nala in The Lion King. Juneteenth, she, sur- she surprised everyone with Black Parade, a new album with Jay-Z. And now... There, here, here is a visual, an entire visual album for her new album called Black is King. And, and she wrote it, she directed it, she executive produced it. And in a, it's just in a year that has tested our humanity with like a pandemic and, and the surfacing of like ignored systemic racism. It's just so crazy how Beyonce has released two albums and, and all of her other creative endeavors. It's just it really is a such a massive feat. And last but not least in the headlines here, TikTok has reached a deal with the Prince estate to allow users to use Prince's entire catalog uh, for videos on the platform. According to a research firm called eMarketer, TikTok's monthly users is growing from 18.8 million in 2018. And get this now, in 2020, they have a projection of 45.4 monthly million monthly users. And the app also includes unofficial Prince TikTok account now, which I would have thought was kind of like uh, hacky and odd, but it's owned and operated by the late artist's estate, and it's said that it will feature archival footage of Prince's performances, interviews, and video excerpts uh, from his career, so I don't mind giving that a follow for sure. And so you're going to see more and more of this, right? Like this, 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 especially with an artist with a massive legacy like Prince's, you're going to see, you're going to continue to see TikTok expand on what's already in their catalog. You're going to see them approach other artists, artists that, that continue to build their catalogs. And for one thing, this deal with Prince's estate, this will only aid TikTok in growing the attention of other artists and they're going to want the the other thing is like artists today now that are going to get approached by TikTok they're going to want to deal like princes so it it sort of it reels them in they're going to say hey look we got princes catalog we'd like to add yours to it and so an an uh, an analogous situation right now is uh Spotify Spotify has done an amazing job over the last 12 to 16 months of just uh, acquiring, uh, acquiring, acquiring, acquiring when it comes to no matter what you think of them, Joe Rogan's podcast, whatever you think of any of these other people that they that have struck deals with Netflix, they're monopolizing in this space. And it's 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 been an amazing thing to watch when you see all these people flocking to Spotify podcasts. How will that change the pod- the uh, podcast landscape? Same thing with TikTok here. One deal will lead to another. This is not the last deal they'll make when it comes to song catalogs and making them available for users. And before you know it, you've grown your users and your partnerships. So TikTok, their monthly user base will grow as well. And TikTok, because of that, it kind of reminds me of early YouTube. It's so creative right now. And I know like months ago, I would have said TikTok is weird. I don't know what's going to show up on the homepage and I'm not sure how to curate my feed. I'm not sure how to build my own creative output. I don't know how to use the thing like all these other kids at the time. And it's really changing. I mean, if you are willing to look past the initial home screen and really start to tell TikTok what you like to see and 
they'll they'll give you the creative stuff that you're looking for from computer repair people I follow that have millions of followers to uh, other people who literally just post funny like America's Home, funniest home videos kind of thing. Um, you know, you can really find interesting, really creative things out there. It reminds me of very early YouTube. And, you know, I, I watch it and I'm like, I don't know how you're doing it. Please keep doing it. I like watching this, going to sleep every night. It's what's getting me to sleep. And, and so all of these things that I'm watching on YouTube, it's like, or uh, I'm sorry, on TikTok, it's very like, it's early YouTube. And so it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Are we going to continue to see random, you know, platform-based celebrities like Charlie D'Amelio or, you know, it's a girl from Connecticut who is now like more wealthy than her entire family has ever been. And are we going to see platform-specific celebrities continue to make really creative things and have it be this creative playground? Or is it going to sort of slide into in too much ad supported, you know, things that we see with YouTube right now where they're battling their creators between, uh, you know, who, what, what the algorithm agrees with and what ads agree with and what they don't. Will we see that on TikTok? I don't know. Maybe it's an entirely different platform. It'll just continue to be creative. And not to mention too, the other thing is, you, you know, the views on TikTok are incredible too, because it's just constant video feed loops. And, and like, like even my videos, my videos on TikTok have more views than I, anything else I've ever done. If you add up all of the views I've gotten on TikTok, they're more than I've ever, ever gotten on any short film or anything like that. Like, combined. So it's crazy. And, and it is a platform you can grow on and I love it. And I like watching it getting to bed every night. So I'm like, just getting to sleep every night, uh, knowing I can laugh on the way to sleep has, has been pretty great over the last few weeks. So let's get to our guest, shall we? I know that's what a lot of people are here to see. And thank you so much for tuning in here on YouTube. I hope we're still good. I'm keeping an eye on the chat and everything. Thank you so much. Okay. So Robin Lazara, it's been so great to talk to her. I am so excited to show you our conversation. We talk about so many things and, and everything from diversity in film and, and, and also her journey into the film industry and how she's come from Long Island to Western New York to now being a production manager of Lightwork Media Buffalo, which is a freelance creative team here on uh, here in Western New York, and they get to do so many cool things, especially now during COVID, how they've had to adjust. We talk about it all, and so I, I let's get let's get right into it. How about I just show you the interview? Here is Robin Lazaro. Robin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, how are you? I mean, it's been a crazy few months for everybody, but you sort of work in an industry that's having to sort of relearn how to get back to work after all this coronavirus stuff. And, and it's been a chaotic few months. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the job that I worked on last the feature film that I worked on last actually ended up wrapping up right before 
we started going into lockdown like around the end of March. So I wasn't really affected in that aspect when it comes to working. So I've been able to stay home, stay safe, um, definitely keeping my distance from my friends, but still staying in contact with them through like FaceTime and texting. And I think I've actually been getting a lot closer with some people because of that, even though I've been at home alone, um, definitely going about things differently. Like maybe instead of going to pick things up, doing like a curbside pickup from like a local place like Wegmans and things like that. So I've been adapting and at first it was pretty weird, but I think by now it's definitely felt a lot more like a new normal. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be weird to see what the new normal is too. Once, you know, once sets are back up and running and everything, it'll be really, really crazy. Um, are, how, you know, you, you said you're staying in touch with everybody and everything like that. Um, have you given any like personal thought to how things will return over, you know, when, when work does resume, have you thought about like what that will look like for you? Have you thought about like how you personally would approach a job differently maybe? Yeah, there's definitely a lot to consider. Um, definitely the idea of everybody staying six feet apart and not really touching communal things and things like that. I've had to think about, um, there was one job where we were going to go into a music video where that obviously involves being on set and being around people. So we are like, okay, we'll push the date for now. And then maybe once things start reopening, we can get back into that. But even we're seeing now as things are reopening, the spikes are going up and things keep escalating. And it's like, we need to figure out, like you said, a new normal where we can still do the same thing we did before, but be safe. So the idea of everyone wearing masks, the idea of when it comes to having food on set, having like individually packaged things rather than like a communal pot of pasta where everyone's pulling out of and just like having hand sanitizer because people are around each other so often. And when it comes to equipment, people are touching equipment and having disinfecting wipes to wipe everything down. There's a lot to unpack, but I keep reading about how bigger movies are trying to go about it. And they have some situations where they have like bands on specific people where it's like, Oh, if you have a blue band, you can be by the monitor. If you have a green band, you can be by the actors and oh. things like that, that it's like, that's on a much bigger scale than what I would be going back into right now. Like our set would probably only have like 10 people max, but trying to navigate like a bigger feature like that, I still can't really wrap my head around how we would go about it. But I know there's a lot of people that have a lot of great ideas and we can definitely figure something out that would keep everybody safe. Well, and to sort of set the stage for everyone too, like your, you work, your title is production manager, correct? With light work. So, um, so, I mean, you, you wouldn't look, it's not your job to oversee, to oversee this type of thing. Uh, uh, but now that it's a factor, it certainly plays a role in, in the specific work that you work in. So that's, I mean, yeah, that's something that will, unfortunately, probably you'd have to think about. So yeah, that's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy time. So uh, when did you, you know, you're, you're out of school now, you're working as a production manager with, you know, the freelance team with Lightwork Media Buffalo. And uh, when did you first start getting interested in media? So when I was in high school, my high school didn't have any film classes or anything like that. 
Um, but when it would come to projects, specifically for my English class and my Spanish class, they would give us the option to do video projects. And I had a camera, I think it was like a Canon T3 or something, not even a T3i. Oh, so it was okay. literally just made for pictures. <laughs> but there was a video recording option. So I was like, okay, well, I have a camera. Me and my friends can get together and we can make a video. So we would get together and we would make videos about stories that we would read in our Spanish class or stories we would read in our English class. And I was like, oh, I have a Mac laptop so I can just edit it on iMovie because it's free. And I kind of just taught myself how to edit from there. Um, I really didn't know what I was doing with my camera. <laughs> I would kind of just point it at someone and then push record and be like, okay, great, stop. And my idea for continuity is, okay, well, these two people are in this position. You guys freeze where you are. I'm going to stop recording, move the camera to get a different angle and push record again. And that's how I thought everything worked. Like I really didn't have any prior knowledge of film or anything like that. I really didn't even watch that many movies. Um, and I kind of just really enjoyed the editing process that I taught myself how to do. So after a few years of doing that in high school, when it came time to start applying for colleges, because I also did dance growing up, I was like, okay, I'm going to major in dance and look at schools that have a dance program. And then I ended up having tendonitis in both of my legs, oh. which means that's going to be another thing I have to deal with. And I'm like, I don't know if this is something I can really pursue because I really love dance, but I was like, I don't want my career to be dependent on something where I can't go forward because of a physical restraint that I have. So I was like, what else do I like doing? And I was like, well, I like editing. <laughs> and then it was a literal shot in the dark to be like, okay, maybe I'll need your film. Yeah. So I pursued that and it got me to where I am now. And I'm so thankful that yeah, yeah. everything ended up working out. Well, and you've been able to like combine those interests at times too, which has been really cool. I've seen. And that's, that's awesome. How did it lead you to Buffalo State's film school? How did that, I mean, you could have, cause you're not, are, are you originally from Buffalo? You're not right. No, I'm originally from Long Island. Uh, our, the town that I'm from is called Valley stream. It's right outside of Queens, New York. And a lot of people are familiar with Queens and it's only like 45 minutes away from New York city. So a lot of people are like, why do you come to Buffalo when Long Island is so close to New York City already? But yeah. the story behind that is also kind of funny because I went to a SUNY state like school fair, like a campus kind of fair. I don't even know what it's called. Do you know what I'm talking about though? Uh, a Where college it's like fair? They have, like, like they have yeah. tables set up, right? For yeah, different colleges. Yeah, for all the different schools. Yeah. And it was SUNY based. Um, so we were walking around and then we got to the Buffalo State College stand wow. and the guy was like, yeah, we have a very selective film program. It only admits 15 students a year. So when you don't get into that, you can join the <laughs> communications department and still learn about media and film and editing and everything you want to do from there. So I was like, okay, this is a really great option. I was like, this television and film arts program sounds super difficult to get into, but I'll toss my hat in the ring because why not? So from there, for the application, you had to do like, uh, you could either submit a script or a video that you made. Um, so I ended up making a video and I submit and I was like, okay, well, the chances of me getting in are slim to none, but I can still do communications. So there was one day where I was coming back from lunch because we can go out to lunch in high school. And I checked my phone and I got an email from the head of the department at the time. And he said, 
you've been accepted to the television and film arts program. And Dustin, <laughs> I cried. I was so happy. Oh my god! I thought it was such an impossible reach. And when I saw that I got in, I was like, oh my God, mom, dad, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was really I, exciting. Yeah. I, 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 same, same thing here. It, it's so funny because I remember touring Buffalo State's campus from my school because I only grew up like 40 minutes away. So we got a college tour and I, I did the same thing. I asked about the film program and they were like, well, that's a very selective program and we have a media arts program that's just fine. And, and, and yeah. And then same thing, that email is, is pretty fun. So you, I mean, how were, how were your years there? I mean, was it, was it an adjustment getting into the program? Did you at times feel like it wasn't the right major or were you loving every minute? You hit the nail on the head with the first thing you said. When I first got there at orientation, everyone knew every film director ever. Everyone knew all the classic movies. And I'm like, should I be here? I don't know any of this. I don't even know how to film things properly. Like I was kind of discouraged because I was like, I didn't have any film classes in my high school. And I feel like I'm lacking so much knowledge that so many of my peers have, but a lot of them were actually very encouraging. And they were like, yeah, we learned about all this stuff, but we can also share all the stuff that we learned with you. And then I also had to remind myself, I'm going to school to learn. So it's okay if I don't have all this prior knowledge already, I'm going to go to class and learn more about it. But I definitely did feel discouraged when I first got there because I'm like, I feel like there's so much knowledge that I need to know coming into this. But along the way, a lot of people were very supportive of me. Yeah, and I think, I think, I don't know, in a weird way, it's so funny because I, I, you're another person I've talked to where it's felt like that, you know, and, and it feels like almost maybe a lot of us felt that way. And then we just sort of, I don't know, we had all these thoughts about what it was going to be. And then it's literally like, no, it's, it's, it's what you came for. It's, you know, like, we'll help you along. And that's awesome. So when did you, um, when, when did you sort of, what did you take away from film school? I mean, I know it's probably, uh, have, having gone through it myself, I don't know that I could boil it down to just one thing, but, you know, was there something that you took away that you were like, well, I definitely wouldn't, I, I don't know that I would have this if I had gone anywhere else. I think one of the biggest aspects of being part of the television and film arts program that has directly affected me is the hands-on experience that they give you because there's a lot of film programs where they don't let you even touch a camera until senior year. But this program in particular, as soon as you get in, one of the first classes you take requires you to make a short film with a group of people that are in your class. Most of them that you've never met before. So one of the first tasks you're given is to work in a group of people that you're completely unfamiliar with. And that is exactly what film is as a whole. So I think being provided the opportunity where you can rent out equipment that's provided by the school and you can work with other people who want to go into what you want to do. That is a huge, huge opportunity that everybody should jump on when they're at that school and when they're in that program. And there was also a club that I was a part of called Studio 716, where you didn't even have to be in the television and film arts major to get involved to make these projects. So having a community where everybody can work together, like everyone's there at the same time, they have the same schedule when it comes to classes. I mean, people may have work on top of it, but at the end of the day, if it's for class, 
a lot of people are going to be working together that maybe wouldn't have been if they weren't all put into the same situation. So I definitely think that people that are in the program should take advantage of that because once you graduate, everybody has different work schedules, everybody has their own things going on, and it's not as easy to get a group together to get something made. And then you're also required to get your own equipment and everything like that. So having the resources and the community to work with you was the biggest takeaway for me from that program because I learned a lot about myself and what I like doing because you have a lot of opportunities to explore positions that you never even maybe thought about before. Because when I went into college, I went in with the idea that I wanted to be an editor. But then when I was a part of Studio 716, my friend said, hey, Robin, have you ever thought about producing anything before? And I was like, no, not really. I don't know if I'd be really good at that. And he was like, well, why don't you give it a shot? It's worth a try. And then I produced one short film and now I'm a production manager of a freelance company in Buffalo. So it's just a matter of people shouldn't think that just because they're good at one thing, they're put into a box and they have to do that one thing. While you're in school, take risks, take chances, do things that you never would have even considered doing before. Pick up a camera if you never picked up a camera before, because I guarantee you there's someone in your class that can teach you how to use that camera. And just kind of utilizing your resources, whether it be the actual physical equipment or the minds of the people that you're collaborating with. Yeah, I mean, and the community that you had around you at school, I mean, that it, it only lends itself to help you afterward too, right? I mean, it, you you are a co-founder of Lightwork Media Buffalo as well, and you started that with other graduates, correct? Yep. Yeah, and so... Uh, you know, this community is, and, and it also helps you get work afterwards. What, like, what kind of projects were you able to work on, you know, while you were there? And, and what have you worked on afterwards that are, I mean, um, that you would have not have had if you hadn't gone to Buff State? Yeah, that's the other thing that I didn't even mention yet is the opportunities that they give you to work on things outside of school. Because my one professor at the time he had a connection with some local filmmakers in the area and he was like, I have some people who would want to work as interns. And that's how a lot of people get their start, especially locally in the Buffalo area is you start out as an unpaid intern. You work really long days, hard hours, but you prove yourself, you get the experience. And then after that, it kind of gives you the opportunity to move up with these people who hired you. And then you start to get paid jobs. So in 2017, uh, my professor Lou Rera, he recommended a few of us to work as interns on this movie that was filming in the Buffalo area called Coldbrook. And I really didn't know how feature film sets worked at all, um, but I still sent in my resume because it was a good opportunity. And we got pulled in for an interview. It was a group interview, which I had never experienced before. Um, but we went through the interview process and then um, I believe she was the line producer. I believe Bethany Hedges was a line producer on Coldbrook. Um, she reached out to me and she was like, I would like to bring you on as a production office intern. And I'm like, I don't know what a production office is. <laughs> and then I learned that there was this whole other aspect of filmmaking besides the onset stuff, which is all the months leading up to the onset stuff where it's the planning and the organizing and everything else that you need in order to even get the onset stuff to be possible. So I worked in the production office as an intern for a month or two. Um, we helped do some research for some of the stuff that was going to be in the movie. 
and just helping with like the casting process. Like we would print out everybody's photos and put them all up on the wall and helping the director when he needed the help. Um, and then after that, we went on to work as onset interns where we were kind of doing the standard production assistant things like locking up, which is the idea of like, you have people all stationed around the outside areas of a set to stop people from walking through the shot, which is also not as fun as it sounds because some people don't like that. <laughs> they can't yeah. walk through. Right. So it's not glamorous. The first few jobs you're going to get working as an unpaid intern, but it taught me a lot and it is definitely a first step into getting into the industry. So I'm really grateful that I was provided that opportunity. Yeah. And to me, uh, the, uh, the only part or not the only part, but, but the part of the filmmaking process that I fell in love with while in school too, was the production office because all of a sudden you're an intern and you're in the office. And my favorite part about it was like, not, not, not the people you even meet. I mean, that's cool too, but like, it's just, at one point I was just like, we're in an office and it's boring and yet we're making something really cool. You know what I mean? And creative. And that was the coolest part to me. That's how you fell in love with the production office too. So how did, what did that, did that work lead to anything else uh, while you were in school or, or after? Yeah. So after cold Brook, another movie came to town um, called the true adventures of wolf boy. And I worked as an office intern on that. I wasn't on set at all for that one. But I worked as an office intern on that. It was like every Friday or so. Because Coldbrook, I was working on that full time. But this was kind of like a more part time because that's when we were simultaneously making our TV pilot for the television film art program where I was the executive producer of that. So I was like, this is kind of a lot to balance all at oh once. Gosh. So if I can still work on a feature like every Friday or so. I was like, I'll definitely still do that because I can have a foot in each thing at the same time. Wow. So I was really thankful for that too because I worked with some awesome people on that too that are some of my closest friends now. Um, but like you said, I learned a lot more about the production office when I was on that one because since I was in the office, even when they were filming, it's like that process continues. Like it's set up for pre-production the months up until shooting, but then there's still an office going when they're shooting on set. So I got to learn a lot more about how the office functions while they're filming on set. And that was when I was still in school. And while you were executive producer of a TV pilot, which is to me still the craziest like tornado <laughs> two, three months of my life. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy how you were able to balance all that. And so um, it, was there ever a point in that period of time while you were in school and maybe you weren't, maybe you were just sort of living in the moment, but um, was there ever a part where you were just sort of like, I definitely want my own footprint someday. I definitely want to do my own thing in my own way. Um, even if it's just as a production manager of a freelance team, was that ever a glimmer in your eye or was that not yet? That's a very interesting question because you would think so. But I don't know if that thought ever actually crossed my mind. I think I was looking at it more as a, okay, I got to get my foot in the door. I'm working unpaid and meeting all these people and making these connections. Then I can work my way up until the point where maybe I'm up at a higher point And that's kind of me making a name for myself. But yeah, when I was first going into it, I don't know if I ever thought about it like that. And I mean, definitely looking at where I am now, you would think that I did, but Lightwork Media Buffalo kind of just ended up falling in my lap 
because yeah. of the great people that I worked with. Because I went away to work in New York City in 2018. And when I came back, the people that I had worked with at school were like, we want to form a company and we want you to be a part of it. And I was like, wow, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And well, and I asked too, because you, you have such a, um, and, and I know from your work too, from, from stuff that you've been in a more producer role for that you, and, and in your role as a production manager now, like that is a, that's a, a role of, authority that you have to assume especially when it comes to being on set and stuff and making sure everything runs properly and making time work and making the day work so that i mean you have to sort of have the i don't know the the confidence and the comfortability with the authority to some extent and i wondered if that parlayed into yeah i wanna i want my own thing here you know yeah i think like I mentioned before, the Club Studio 716 gave me a lot of opportunities to learn how to work in a leadership position and work with a group of people. And it was it became fairly large. I think there was one point there were like 40 members. Um, so it was learning a lot about deciding what is best for the group, making sure you get everybody's input and kind of working as a team because a lot of people think that when it comes to an authoritative position, like they have the power and ultimate decision. But my opinion is when you're a leader, you're just a reflection of the group. And you have to be in constant communication with everybody to understand their wants, their needs, and what you can do to ensure that everybody is happy and you're making the best decision for the group as a whole. So between Studio 716 and being on the television and film arts TV pilot that we did working in the executive producer position for both. I think that provided me with a lot of the knowledge and experience that helped me get to where I am now. Yeah. I love that. I love that answer. Um, so what, um, so you form the company this, I, they come to you and they say, we want you to be a part of this company and, and, here's the type of work that we're going to do. What, what kind of work did you guys maybe have your eyes on and what type of work have you guys settled into doing? Um, it's hard to remember because it was so long ago to think what we even like wanted to do um, based on what we've already accomplished thus far. But I know when we got together, um, so the other team members from the beginning, the other co-founders are Raphael Simencia, Mark Pasqualato and Salvatore Natale. Um, Mark and Raphael both graduated from television and film arts at Buff State and Sal graduated from UB. And they sat me down, I think we were at Pearl Street Brewery or something. And I just got back from working on Murphy Brown in New York City. And they were like, listen, we all do the technical things like we film and we focus pull and we light and we do all these different aspects, but we need a producing person on our team to help us like facilitate all this stuff. And I don't even know if we were really focused on like what we would even actually be doing as opposed to we have all these skills and we want to work together to do something. So as soon as they said that, I was like, yes, <laughs> but it was a lot of figuring out, first of all, what do we even call ourselves? We went through a lot of names. I am the worst when it comes to coming up with names, but we collaborate and we, and we eventually agreed on Lightwork Media. 
um, which we recently rebranded to Lightwork Media Buffalo because there was a company in Florida that took the domain lightworkmedia.com. We're like, okay, we didn't jump on that fast enough for Lightwork Media Buffalo now. Yeah. And if someone takes that, they are being very specific. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but yeah, it was just kind of working from there to be like, okay, well, this is the name. This is what everybody does. Where do we go from here? And then I just keep getting lucky when it comes to opportunities because I knew someone at the time who had reached out to me and was like, I'm working at this school in New York city and we need some promotional material. Are you able to be a part of it? And I was like, guys, I don't do the lighting, the camera, the everything like that. I don't have, I didn't graduate with the specific skills in that area and I don't own the equipment. This seems like a good first opportunity for us. And then yeah. we took that and we went with that and we are still working with that school to this day. Wow. That's awesome. And so uh, have you gotten other work? I, I mean, I, you guys have, in my mind, really expanded from that. Have, I mean, what other types of projects have you found yourselves working on? Um, we've been working a lot with the local Buffalo Italian Cultural Center. Um, they are in the process of having they're like the hub of their center built in what used to be a library on Hurdle Avenue. Um, so while that's been under construction, we've been interviewing a lot of the people that are heavily involved in it. And they've been using that to help promote the reconstruction and kind of draw in a wider audience because they want to widen their demographic. So we interviewed um, Anthony Masiello was a former mayor of Buffalo um, we interviewed, we even interviewed some of our friends, like some of the people that are in Lightwork Media that have an Italian lineage that they can talk about to kind of show that we invite people of all ages to be a part of this. Yeah. So that's what we've been doing a lot. A lot of, it's called CCI, um, the Italian Cultural Center. We've worked a lot with that school, like I mentioned. We've worked with a lot of local music artists doing videos for them that's been a lot of fun um, we even worked with some people on a few narrative short films that they've done so we definitely don't have like one particular thing that we do we're pretty much open to every option that people need help with and i really enjoy that aspect of it because it's not like we just do this one thing we do a variety of things um, but i will say a lot of the stuff that we've done is very much interview based so we definitely have a lot to show on that end, but we're also in the process of editing a new project where it's not as much interview based. So gotcha. just kind of so, expanding on that end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do you, any of you have any interest still in uh, like pursuing your original work at all? Or is that something that is way off in the back burner for right now? <laughs> Um, it's interesting that you asked because as of recently, I kind of had this sort of epiphany because I was like, okay, well, I don't really find myself being in that much of a director position or like a writer position, which most people want to pursue. Um, so when it comes to original work for myself, I think in the past month, I've been very much influenced by the Black Lives Matter movement. And I've been watching a lot of documentaries like 13th by Ava DuVernay, where they talk about mass incarceration and it reminded me of when i did the inclusion crisis for my senior thesis project where i did research on underrepresentation in film 
and kind of put together the research and the visual and filmmaking aspect to present this thing that people can absorb by watching rather than reading and researching. And I've been leaning more towards kind of wanting to pursue work in documentary type film, kind of working as like a production manager like I am right now at Lightwork Media Buffalo to be the person that's coming from like the logistical aspect and putting all the work in and then having a black or an indigenous or person of color in the creative position or a member of the LGBTQIA plus community in the creative position. So they can share the stories and have creative control over it while I'm the one behind the scenes putting the work in. That's where I've been leaning more recently. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I can't wait to see if any, like what work comes of that, especially with you all in your different areas of production. It's just such a cool balanced team that you guys have. I think it's awesome. Um, So, um, do you see your work in the company expanding at all? Like, do you, I mean, you love this. I, I assume you love this kind of producer type role. Do you see it expanding as if, if your work grows, do you see your roles expanding? Yeah, I think we've been seeing a little bit of that recently due to the pandemic. There's actually more of a, not necessarily like a demand, but people asking, oh, can you help me get this done? Can you help me get this done? Because people have time and they're at home now and they're able to record themselves at home and we can kind of put stuff together for them and give it to them to put out that way. So we've actually been hiring independent contractors working with us. So rather than, it's now five of us because we have Brayton Lydell as a new member after the co-founders, um, But instead of the workload being on all five of us, we're kind of outsourcing people that we worked with before that we want to give opportunities and hiring them to help us out. And then we're going to kind of keep a database of everybody that's worked with us and then other people who want to work with us. That way we can kind of expand in that sense. So it's not the work on top of the five people's shoulders all the time. Right, right. What is your dream title if you have one or maybe you already have it? Yeah, I I really enjoy what I'm doing right now. And I think on a small scale, this is what I would like to be doing for the rest of my life, ideally. When it comes to bigger scale, like feature films that I've been working in the production office primarily on, um, I'm not really sure because I thought that I would want to move up the production office hierarchy. And I started off as an intern, then I became an office PA, then I became a production secretary. And the next step, up after that is assistant production coordinator, which I'm still considering, but I, I really enjoy working on the smaller scale stuff personally, because we have more of a say when it comes to creativity, we have more of a say in what is being produced. Meanwhile, when you're in the office, you're not really sure what's going on on the creative end because you're working from more of a logistical and for lack of a better term, business side of it. Um, and also with smaller scale, like independent films that come and film here locally, I really enjoy working as a second assistant director because there's a lot of overlap between that job and the job of production secretary in the office and the job of a production manager on a small scale project. So I'm kind of all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I really, really enjoy what I'm doing now and definitely would like to continue doing that at this level. That's awesome. 
So what did you, um, you, you mentioned your senior thesis, uh, the inclusion crisis. I watched it again today to prepare for the interview with you. How did it all, I mean, I guess you talked a little bit about how it came about, but, but this, this, um, you know, you certainly could have picked any subject for your senior thesis. You picked a very important one. How, how did it come about? Well, when I was going through the film program, I started to notice as I was learning about these movies and directors that I mentioned earlier, I wasn't really familiar with. I saw a lot of the same thing. I saw a lot of the white male director here and the white male director there a few years later. And then even with big actors, it's like predominantly white, predominantly male. So I was like, I need to do something about this. And then they're like, okay, for your senior thesis project, you can do it on whatever you want. And I said, okay, I know what I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So rather than just going based off of what I was seeing on my own and just like noticing, okay, these are the same people we're learning about. These are the same people we're seeing in the media. I was like, I need to go the extra step and do the research. And part of the project was using the scholarly journals provided from the Buffalo State website. And I went through a lot of those and I pulled a lot of statistics and I was like, these are statistics that people should know. It's a lot of things that people are kind of aware of, but if you're not actively looking for it, you're not going to think about that. And I was like, I need to showcase the issues that the world around me is not represented in the media that I'm consuming. And that was a big part of me just even watching movies before I made that thesis project. I was like, how come this main character is white? Why couldn't they have casted somebody else? and just making sure that people know that they have an impact on representation in film and they, they can change these statistics. Because if we act complicit in an industry that is predominantly run by white males, nothing is gonna change. And it's been deeply rooted in our history for so long, we are the people that can change that. And that yeah. was really important to me. Yeah. and and a very, very important topic to, to talk about. And I think, I thought the way you did it too, even incorporating your interests with dance, you know, it was, it just, it, it, I don't know. You could tell it had such a personal flair to such a very globally important topic. And was there a statistic that you re happened to remember that, that sticks with you? Yeah. And I, I jotted a few down too. Um, but the one, the one I had a lot of them, hold up my dancers hold up posters with the statistics on them um one of them said writers are 98 percent white and these are from studies that i made the project in 2018 some of the articles only went up until 2016 with their statistics some did go up to 2018 so they might be different as of now but two years later i really don't think it's all that different but yeah. um, like the writers being 98 percent white the studios being 90 percent white and 90 percent male and the best director nominees at the Academy Awards being 99% male and 1% female were all numbers that immediately jumped out to me because it's not like, oh, it's 55% where it's like, okay, they're a little bit over the majority. It is overwhelming. <laughs> These numbers are in yeah. the 90s, the high 90s. So just making yeah. people aware of that. Yeah, and... and the fact that they're in the high nineties is, you know, it, it's, I always think too, the Oscars, it's supposed to be a celebrate, a celebration 
of all of Hollywood's work throughout the year. And really, it sometimes is like the same person every year goes up on stage and has a thank you speech. And it's, it's, it's rough. I mean, especially if it's in the upper 90s uh, um, for, you know, these people at studios, uh, it, for studios being 90% white and 90% male, it's, that's an important factor in the media that they distribute <laughs> to the rest of America. And yeah, I think you did a good job of, of bringing that issue about because I don't think it's talked about enough, you know, and, and also like to just be blunt about it too, you're, you know, you're a woman in, in the industry and that's important to see yourself represented. So. Yeah. And I also wanted to make sure that when I made it, I wasn't just focusing on women because there's a lot of people who are fighting for only the group that they identify with. When it goes beyond that and it's a matter of understanding, there are multiple groups of people that experience oppression and we need to fight for all of them, especially if we're a part of one of them. So taking that idea of, yes, I've been oppressed, but there are all these groups that need to be represented. It's not just about me and who I identify with. I'm going to fight 10 times harder for all of these other groups that are not equally represented. Yeah. We so all, we all idea. need to be heard. In other words. Yeah. 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 So uh, what is the, you know, you talked about digging through, you know, you, you're learning more and more about films that, that are directed by um, black directors and black female directors. What have you found that is of interest to you that you think other people need to see? Well, I've, I have a watch list and I can share that with you or anyone who wants to check it out. I made a letterboxed account, which is awesome because you can literally just search up any movie you want to watch and then add it to your watch list. And you can have up to like thousands and thousands. I believe. Oh, that's awesome. So I've been going through it slowly. And one movie that I watched in particular that I loved, it's a comedy. Um, it's called The Weeknd. Uh, the director is Stella McGee. And it stars Sashir Zameda from Saturday Night Live. She was on one of the, the older seasons. Oh, okay. um, and it's hilarious. I, I really liked it and I really recommend that if you're looking for a comedy. If you're looking for a more serious dramatic movie, I really enjoyed the movie uh, titled Rafiki, which means friend, um, directed by Wanuri Kahiu. Um, she's a Kenyan director. And when I was researching more about it, I learned this really interesting fact that her movie was actually banned from screening in Kenya because it follows two women who are the daughters of political figures that are running for their individual campaigns. And they end up falling in love with one another. And the Kenyan community is so against gay rights and women being together and everything along those lines to the point where her movie was banned from screening in that area. But then the awesome part is that she sued them and she ended up selling out a theater in Kenya after. That's awesome. So what was it? What was the movie called again? The one that I was just talking about. Yeah. This one. Rafiki. 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 Yeah. I have been looking for that movie because I saw it in Toronto at the film festival. Everybody was saying, they said it would play that tip. It is, it, it is so good. And, and yeah, I remember that being a thing too, that night or something, she had come on stage and said she was 
getting ready to sue Kenya or something. Uh, oh, yeah. that's so cool. That is awesome that she ended up selling out a theater. That is so cool. Yeah, that movie is great. And I'll have to check out The Weeknd too, because that's awesome. I think we should all probably be, <laughs> be looking through other films that haven't seen the light that they deserve, you know? Yeah, and it's crazy because I felt so passionately about this for so long but the thought never even crossed my mind that I can like seek out black female directors, uh, trans women of color directors. Like I can go out of my way outside of the mainstream media that everybody is constantly consuming to find these movies that aren't gaining as much light. And then maybe if enough people see these movies, they can gain enough light to where they become part of the mainstream media. So that's something that I really encourage everyone to do is kind of seek out directors that are not white males that are not even white females because white supremacy is so deeply <laughs> ingrained in the film industry as a whole if you look at the beginning from birth of a nation like we have not come so far from them <laughs> but yeah it's just a matter of making that change making that change and finding these new directors that are not gaining as much mainstream media acknowledgement and learning what you like yeah, and doing the work to see them. That's awesome. So what do you see for yourself as this interview wraps up here? What do you see for yourself and Lightwork of Media Buffalo, you know, for the rest of the year, maybe, hopefully, <laughs> um, assuming all continues to go well in New York State? Um, you know, what do you see for Lightwork Media Buffalo throughout 2020, 2021? Well, I definitely think this year, while we're still figuring out the pandemic, I have a feeling most of our projects will be editing based, based on what people are sending over to us, which is what we've been doing primarily this year, um, since we were originally supposed to travel to New York City for the one project, um, but they actually ended up just sending us in self-taped videos instead. So I have a feeling any other jobs we're going to be getting done this year will be along the same lines, um, but hopefully next year. We have the pandemic figured out. Um, we have a vaccine. Everything is actually starting to look better. And then we're actually able to get back onto sets, um, hiring new people, um, hiring people who have never been given the opportunity to even work on a set before, and just continuing to do what we do and establishing relationships with local companies and local artists and local people that need promotional material to be created for them. Awesome. Thank you so much for, I'm, I'm going to fake say goodbye to you now as this interview wraps up, <laughs> but thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I, it's been so long. It has been so great to talk to you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. If you haven't already subscribe on iTunes and while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. Welcome back to the third part of the show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to Robin Lazar for being on the show, for, uh, for, for bringing such good information to people I know wanted it um, and when it comes to diversity in film, when it comes to your work with Lightwork Media Buffalo. I hope everything keeps going well for Robin. I hope she comes back. 
for another interview soon, hopefully. Please come back. <laughs> All right, so this third part of the program is going to be dedicated to listener questions. So let me see where Lori's question is, because we're starting with Lori's. Uh, I think it's this one. Hi, Dustin. Love the show, and I keep listening to make sure you behave. Lori, that's not funny. Enduring, uh, endu- please endure technical issues, buddy. You've got this. What is the favorite? Uh, what is your favorite part of the show, and why? Uh, Lori, let's be honest here. You're the best. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for writing in a question. That's awesome. And by the way, I forgot to mention, oh my gosh, you, if you are listening and you are are, are viewing, you can hop into the chat room down below or you can uh, write into the show's email here with your questions ahead of time, like Lori's and like so many others that I'll try to answer here in this third part of the program. Just write into the Dustin Whitcomb show at gmail.com. That's D-U-S-T-A-N-W-H-I-T-C-O-M-B. The Dustin Whitcomb show at gmail.com to have your question uh, featured on the show. Or you can hop down into the chat room down below. So, Lori, uh, technical issues. I've got this. You supported me. You're the best of all time. Uh, oh, favorite part of the show. Um, uh, oh, I. There are so many things about the Dustin Whitcomb show that I love. I mean, it's not just getting to talk to people like Robin or people like Giovanna or Emily, anybody that I've had on. And despite the technical issues, I got to say, I love every part of this show. I just, at some points, have trouble getting it to work. <laughs> I, I have some points trying to get it to work. Uh, but but it is still, it's still the best. And, and because I get to... I get to do everything I love over the course of about an hour and a half. And I get to talk about entertainment and tech news and streaming and all the stuff I want to talk about there. And I get to talk to people like Robin and and, and, and talk about her experiences. I just love talking to people. I really do. I mean, if I, if I had it my way, uh, this would just... I would literally have nothing but guests on. I don't want it to just be me. <laughs> I don't. If I had the equipment necessary and everything, I, I would have... Uh, three or four or five, I, I would have everyone on all at once for about two hours. And if I could go longer, I probably would. I, I just love talking to people. I, I really don't. I, I really don't want it to just be me. My favorite part of the show is getting to talk to people like Robin. Uh, I can't wait until I have the thrill of doing the show live. And I get to do the interview live, you know, this pre-recorded thing, we're doing it to accommodate technical issues and different things like that. But truly my favorite part of the show is talking to people like her, talking to people like Emily, who who's doing her own thing here on YouTube and who's in the chat room today. Uh, I, I love talking to these people and talking to my friends and, and just, it doesn't even have to be about the industry, but I like, I like that any of these people I've had on, I just get lost talking about the industry. It can be something we've both seen. It can be something they've seen and I haven't. I Literally, entertainment, tech, streaming, everything that we watch on Netflix and everything, it all brings us together somehow. I really believe that. It, it, I, I mean, I know I'm speaking in lofty terms here, and I'm sorry because I'm probably losing some of you, but thank you. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. But But really, like... It truly brings us together. The fact that we can all sit down and talk about Star Wars or talk about or, or talk about Rafiki, a film I saw in Toronto that Robin also has now seen. And, and, and you know, 
talk talk about the lack of diversity of power or anything like like we can talk about so many things when it comes to entertainment entertainment really does bring us together and i love talking about it and i love having my friends on to talk about it so i anyway lori um my favorite question uh, my favorite part of the show is 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 the guest interview i mean i i just i want to talk to as many people as i can i want to have as many guests on as possible if you're a part of the film community and you know me and you know how to get a hold of me and you think you're willing to be on this live stream and uh sit down in an interview please get a hold of me i i, I want to talk to everybody and i want to feature everybody i want to make sure people's voices are heard it's uh it, it really entertainment brings all of us together i, I really believe that it's sort of my church, if you will, um, and um, to a fault, really. Uh, but um, and so my favorite part of the show is probably the guest interview. Uh, this one, next one came from Josh. This is actually I, I did not see this email, so I'm sorry, Josh. This is getting on the show late. But how was your experience with film school, and should I still uh, should I still going? Should I still consider going? I'll add that word in there. Uh, I keep hearing stories about people that didn't go and somehow get work on sets and think, how did they do it? I don't want to go into debt if I don't have to. Money is a big issue in my family. Yeah, I mean, so listen, if money's a big issue in your family, my advice is don't. Um, uh, I'm not, I don't know. Look, I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to disqualify myself from this question a little bit. I, you know, I'm not a financial college advisor. I don't know everything to know about the film community here in Buffalo. I don't know everything to know about where you are, uh, in terms of is college a good idea or not. I think it's different for everybody. I can tell you that for me, you know, it's not like, um, you know, my parents did not pay for college outright. Um, I, I took out, uh, loans to, to, to get the degree that I have. And, um, and so I chose to go into debt to get the degree I have. I would say that for me, um, that was also a question. It was, do I, do I go to film school? Do I have to? My answer to that, that I formulated after much thought and conversation with family and everything is, Yes, I do need to go to film school. I grew up in Salamanca, in Cattaraugus County. It couldn't be farther away from, from, from Hollywood. I mean, really. I mean, and projects that were coming here when I was thinking about going to film school, there were no movie and TV projects coming here that were, that were legitimately, you know, it wasn't a safe bet that I could work in film or TV. It's still not. And so, um... And I'm very aware of that. And so because of that, film school ended up being a very good option, a very expensive way to get the connections that I now have. Uh, I don't regret it. I, I, I don't I don't wish that I had never gone into debt. Um, I, 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 you know, I wouldn't have connections like Robin Lazar. I wouldn't have connections that I have from film school um, and, and friendships and even, you know, my girlfriend and I met while I was in film school. Like, I just, we never would have, you know, I, ne- I never would have these things if I hadn't come to film school. So I don't regret it. I would say, though, that you need to weigh the cost and what you're going to get from it. What I got from it were the connections 
experiences and also jobs from film school. Um, it, it, it helps get your resume maybe in, in front of some people, but the most important thing you'll get from film school is not the degree. It's the connections. And if it's worth going into debt or whatever you have to do to get the degree, okay. If you live in a place, um, I know you don't Josh, but you know, just in general for other people who are listening or watching or whatever, the, the, if you live in a place where you know movies and TV shows come to the area, I personally don't think you should consider film school because you would be paying for stuff that you could otherwise get for free. And it's not worth tens and tens of thousands of dollars to get. Um, me, I, I sort of, um, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I guess it's sort of a gamble. But it's a gamble that a lot of us, I think, who went to my film school took. It's like you don't have the connections. Now you do. And on top of that, you're getting educated. I don't want to write it off as if film school wasn't educational and it was just the connections. It wasn't. I, I, I was taught many, many things that I would never know how to do if I hadn't gone to film school. And, and they make sure you have the very basics of basics <laughs> down so that when you do utilize those connections you get in film school, you're able to be better equipped for the internship, for the job, whatever they, the connections set you up for having. Um, so, so that's what my film school experience is like. Josh, I would say, um, I, I would say really talk to as many people as you possibly can, even go to the nearest college that has a film pro- program and talk to them about it. Don't talk to a, a recruiter of the college because their job is to get you to enroll. Go to the actual professor, email them, write them, show up at their door, do whatever you got to do. Uh, obviously, after the virus, don't just show up right now. Nobody will be there. But 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 show up and just say hi. I'm very interested in film and TV. I don't know if I n- need a degree or what. If I can even afford a degree. What are some, what is one thing I should know? And who is one person I should know? If you go to enough doors and enough people, if you contact enough people, you'll get the answers you need without having to go into debt and maybe go into college. That's my answer to that very <laughs> complicated question. Good luck to you, Josh. Um, and let me know if you get in. This one comes, oh, why don't we take this one from, oh, on the heels of, um, on the heels of Robin's interview, um, let me just read, uh, Mandy's interview. Mandy sent in, uh, or Mandy's question, uh, Mandy sent in a question saying, what's a movie, what's, what's a movie from a black director that you've seen and liked? Uh, I'm trying to watch more than just the typical movies that I see advertised to me. And there's so many movies that I didn't know even existed. And that I now love that's exactly what Robin was talking about. Good for you, Mandy, for searching out that kind of thing. So, um, I, I really liked Rafiki. If you didn't watch Robin's interview and you're just now tuning in to the podcast or whatever, listen to Robin's interview, what she talks about with Rafiki. It's about two uh, daughters of politicians in Kenya who followed love. And um, despite the Kenyan resistance to homosexuality and different things, it, it is a wonderful movie. You need to search it out. Rafiki. Um, let me... What else have I watched recently that was really good? Um, I started watching 13th um, on Netflix from Ava DuVernay. 
And that is really good. Anything Ava DuVernay has ever directed is really good. Um, I don't, you know, I encourage, I encourage people who, if you are like me, um, I would encourage people to not just say something very stereotypical like Black Panther, because I think that's a very stereotypical answer. And yes, Black Panther is an amazing movie. I loved going to the theater to watch it. Ryan Coogler did an amazing job, but like, we need to also expand our knowledge of films from the black community and directors who are black and black and female. And, and uh, Rafiki is an excellent start if you haven't seen it. So I guess that's my answer, Mandy. Uh, and why don't we take one more question? Unless we, I got another one on this piece of paper that I need to see. Nope. Okay. So why don't we take one more? This one comes from me. Uh, no, not Mandy. Brian. Uh, he says, what's the best Marvel movie? And don't evade the question. Just answer the damn thing. So thank you, Brian. <laughs> thank you, Brian. Hope you're well. Um, so that's a really tough question. Um, I know we talked about, look, I know we talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for all this new content. To me though, my favorite Marvel content has been in the saga that just ended with Endgame. Um, it's a very tough uh, choice for me um, between Endgame and the original Iron Man. Now, I know that the original Iron Man takes a lot of flack because of the messaging and uh, and and a lot of a lot of messaging when it comes to Tony Stark's character in the original Iron Man. I love that one though. And the reason why I love the original Iron Man and Endgame so much, and I will pick one. I know, Brian, you're very strict with your question. I will answer the damn thing. But the reason why I love the original Iron Man and uh, Endgame so much is that the entire Tony Stark character arc that goes, uh, that spans across the entire phase is a storyline that means a lot to me for various reasons that I, I guess I won't go into, but um, the, the Tony Stark storyline, everything that he experiences throughout the movies through Spider-Man homecoming, through civil war, through different things. It, it's a storyline that means a lot to me. And if you have read my written work, you know this because I wrote a very, I, I wrote a blog that ended up being, controversial in in my little film community here in western new york because i said the end game was the best cinematic experience of all time i still stand by that um i still stand by that because i'd never experienced anything in, like uh end game in the theater and that's one of the reasons that end game might be my favorite is is you saw the entire universe come together and you've seen the result of the evolution of each character of of tony's storyline of you you see the the women of the universe come together at one point you see uh you see black panther you know conclude his appearance in this phase of the marvel cinematic universe there's so much that happens in that movie that is so awesome and it's just this bombastic epic conclusion that were that was like 12 years of movie making coming to a head 
you could feel that in your bones in the theater. You could literally feel the cinematic experience that was unfolding before you. Ooh, I hit the mic. I apologize. That was unfolding before you. You could see it on the screen. You could literally feel it. Like, they're concluding 12 years of cinematic history, and it was just astounding and and very well done and and how it wasn't spoiled for everybody and leaked and everything like that just the, the fact that they were able to do it and surprise us and make us cry and make us laugh and do all of the things that they've always done over the last 12 years it was just incredible and so huh endgame is probably my favorite um but yeah, so I love that original Iron Man so much because of the storylines that I relate to in convoluted ways and in various ways. Um, and uh, and so I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 It's between those two, probably Endgame. Brian, why do you got to ask such a hard question? Get out of my face. Good Lord. Um, should I answer another one quick? I don't know. Should I check the chat? Let me see. Ooh, lots of comments. From Emily. I agree, Dustin. I had the same experience overall. I am glad I did because of the people I met and experience it gave me, but your results may vary when talking about film school. So there you go, Josh. Emily uh, agrees with me. She had the same experience. She's glad that she did it because of the people she met and the experience that it gave her. And yeah, I don't know. I mean... Uh, and Stephanie, this is very delayed, but I think anything by Jordan Peele is a masterpiece. I like horror and us was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. Anything Jordan Peele seems to touch seems to astound me. It's been amazing here. And it's like, like us and, um, uh, 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 get out was, I mean, it was culturally it like, the fact that he made a cultural horror movie and like, um, what did he call it? He called it something in his press run and maybe you'll think of it uh, in the comment section, but like he called it something when he was promoting it, uh, a social thriller. I think that's what he called it. And like, he was dead on. It was a social thriller and it, it was incredible. Um, yeah, so anything by Jordan Peele, I agree with you, Stephanie. That's, that's, I love that. Um, and yeah, let's do that. Let's end on that note, shall we? Hey, listen, thank you so much to everybody who has watched, everybody who's watching right now. If you are listening to the audio-only version of this at anchor.fm slash dwshowofficial, thank you so much. Remember that next time you can get your question and comment, uh, into the show here by sending opinions and questions in the chat below or going to the Dustin Whitcomb show at gmail.com, sending your question in there. That's D U S T A N W H I T C O M B, the Dustin Whitcomb show at gmail.com. You can find me on all the social medias at Dustin Whitcomb and the Dustin Whitcomb show as well. Just go ahead and search the name. Thank you so much for watching live. And we did it. We got to the end of the show with no technical issues. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you and I. Thank you so much. Cheers, everybody. And I will see you on Thursday for another live show. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon, guys. Bye. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review.